for God so loved the world. This sermon just kind of preaches itself, right? Just read the verse. That's good enough. Those might be the most famous and beloved words to open any verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world. John 3.16 is famous and beloved for good reason. It is a beautiful encapsulation of the entire message of the gospel in just a few perfectly chosen words. What a wonderful summary of the good news, of the best news in the whole wide world. Pastor Carey talked about it a little bit last week. I listened to his message online. How many times have we heard this quoted or quoted it ourselves or seen it held up on a poster or a banner at a sporting event? For God so loved the world. Every word of this verse is vibrant and vital and crucial for understanding the most important message in the whole wide world. It starts with the word for. So it's connected to what came right before it. It it doesn't just appear out of nowhere. It, It comes out of the rest of John 3, which we studied last time. If you remember, Nicodemus came at nighttime. He came in the darkness. This leading Pharisee came to see Jesus at night, and if you remember, he tried to butter him up. But Jesus was not fooled by his flattery or impressed with his religiosity, and he straight up told Nicodemus, you must be born again. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. It's not our good works or our rule following that gives us entrance into the kingdom. It is the new birth. You must be born from above. You must be born once more. You must be born again. Do you remember that? Nicodemus did not understand what Jesus was saying. And that disappointed Jesus even more because Jesus thought this was biblical theology 101. Nicodemus should have known all about the new birth and taught it to Israel. But instead, all Nicodemus could say was, how can this be? Jesus told him how it could be. He said, verses 14 and 15 of chapter 3, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man, Jesus, must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus predicted his own crucifixion three years in advance. Jesus, he says, was going to be like the snake on the pole in the wilderness in the story of Numbers 21. If the people looked up in faith at the snake on the pole, they would be rescued and healed from the venomous snake bites. So likewise, Jesus was going to be lifted up. And if people looked to him in faith, they would be rescued and healed and saved and given what he calls eternal life. For, verse 16, For God so loved the world. See the connection? I think the Apostle John is making sure that we all understand what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus. Now, it's possible that verses 16 through 21 are more of the words of Jesus to Nicodemus. It might be printed in red in some of your Bibles. That's possible. But I think it's more likely that John takes over here and explains the story that he's been telling. Either way, it's God's word. And it's about a God who loves. For God so loved the world. Here's the reason why Jesus had to go to the cross. Here's the reason why the Son of Man had to be lifted up 
It's because of the great love of God for the world. Love divine. All loves excelling. Now, we've heard these words so many times, we just might miss how amazing these words really are. Just start with that word, God. God. God is the supreme being, all-knowing, all-present, all-sovereign, all-worthy of all worship, all-holy. And John 3.16 says that this holy, holy, holy God loves. He isn't just neutral, some God up there who doesn't care. He isn't just calm and cool and collected. He isn't just all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, all-sovereign, all-worthy of all worship. He is also love. And He's loving. God loves. And this is even more amazing. God loves the world. See, that's mind-boggling. Not, because, not just because the world is so big but because the world is so bad. This word world, Greek cosmos, is almost always used by the Apostle John to describe something bad, something evil. Sinful human beings connected together to oppose God. That's the world, according to John. This is what we've heard so far from John about the world. Back in the prologue, chapter 1, verse 9. The Word, the Son of God, was in the world... And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. So the world said to God the Son, no thank you. The world said to God, we don't want you. The world has said to God, go away, get lost, I wish you were dead. And, it's, and that's the world that God so loved. This verse is not so amazing because we were so lovable. So cute and cuddly. I heard a preacher say once, if God had a picture of you, it would be on his refrigerator. That's true because of how he loves us in Christ. But not because we're so cute and cuddly, so desirable, so deserving, so lovable. This verse is so amazing because we were so unlovable so undeserving and yet we were his enemies and yet God so loved the world and that word so right it's easy to miss the Greek word there is hutos it's used to emphasize the manner in which something is done the degree or the way something is accomplished the Christian standard bible the CSB says for God so for God loved the world in this way this is how he did it This is how he loved. This is the intensity with which he loved the world. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I've got three points this morning. And none of them will probably surprise you. But I hope we feel how amazing they are once again. Here's number one. God so loved the world that he gave his son. And see, that's astonishing love. We're used to it. We, we sing about it all the time. We hear about it. But this is amazing. How great must your love be to give up 
your son. I've got three sons and a daughter, and I don't want to give any of them up for anyone. But God just had the one. And just think about how great this son was, how precious he was to God. Jesus was God's monogenes. Do you remember that? Only begotten son. One and only son, it says here. Unbelievably unique son. There's no son like this son. It's the son of God. Remember that word monogenes from the prologue in chapter 1? Let's review all the times that we've seen monogenes show up. Chapter 1, verse 1. Say it with me one more time. In the beginning was the... And the word was... And the word... Yeah. The word was with God, withness. And the word was God, wasness. That's how close they were, this father and this son, with and was. Now, the next time it appears is in chapter 1, verse 14. This eternal, God, the eternal word who was with and was God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the monogenes, the one and only, who came from the father. So he was with and was the father. He was with and was God, and then he came from God, full of grace and truth. And then chapter 1, verse 18, no one has ever seen God, but God, monogenes, God the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. That's the Son that God gave. That's the Son of God that God gave. And He gave Him, it says. He gave Him. We're going to see in a second that He sent Him, but He didn't just send Him as some kind of messenger. He sent Him as a gift. He sent Him as a sacrifice. He sent Him to be lifted up on a pole like a snake in the wilderness he gave him up to die. That's what we're going to remember at this table in just a few minutes. Jesus, Jesus wasn't just a great teacher, as wise as his teaching was. Jesus wasn't just a great miracle worker, as wonderful as his miracles were. Jesus wasn't just a great example, as perfect as his example was. Jesus was the Lamb of God. Sacrifice to take away the sins of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Notice again that he did this for the world and not just for Israel. He didn't just give his son for the biological children of Abraham like Nicodemus. But he did it for the people in this room. He did it for the people in other rooms all over this world. He did it for all who will believe. That's point number two this morning. Point number two. God so loved the world that we could have eternal life. There's two that's in verse 16, right? God so loved the world that he gave, but that that has a purpose or a result. 
Verse 16 again. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I know you've heard that a million times, but just think about it. God's gift is so great that if we believe in Jesus, we will not have eternal death, but eternal life. If we look to Jesus like the snake lifted up on the pole, then we will not perish. We will not be eternally destroyed, but we will have eternal life. Life that starts now and goes on forever in and with God. That's the ultimate blessing. That's the ultimate good. That's the kingdom of God and the God of the kingdom, all ours, all yours and mine. And not because of anything we do, Nicodemus, but because of what God the Father has done in giving God the Son for us. And that's for anyone, whoever. Old King James word, whosoever, right? We don't use that word anymore. Heather doesn't say, whosoever wants lunch, Come on over and get it. But she could. Whoever. You, me, anyone? Jew or Gentile? Israeli or Pennsylvanian? Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Do you believe in him? That's what it all comes down to. And that's why Jesus came down in the first place. Verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Jesus was sent on a rescue mission. This time. Next time He comes, He will carry out the judgment that the world deserves. But when He came that first time, He was coming to save the world that had hated Him. And our part, as those in the world needing to be saved, is simply to believe. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. We should be. We've earned condemnation. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. But whoever believes in him is not condemned. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. But, see the crucial word in verse 18? Don't miss it. But, whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's, there it is again, monogenes, one and only Son. Don't miss the warning that is in these verses. Don't miss the perishing in verse 16. Lots of people love John 3, 16, and they just don't think about what that word perishing means. If you do not believe in God's monogenes, God's only begotten, God's one and only, God's unbelievably unique and precious Son, then you stand condemned already. You're already headed towards eternal death, eternal destruction, eternal perishing. Verse 36 down the page will teach us, whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Hear this warning. If you do not believe in God's one and only Son, you are headed right into the wrath of God. 
another name for which is hell. Jesus divides all humanity into two groups. And ultimately, we are either in one or the other. It's not both and, it's either or. It's either unbeliever or believer. And therefore, it's either perishing or it's eternal life. It's either condemned or not condemned. But we don't have to be condemned. God so loved the world that we could have eternal life if we believe in His one and only Son. It's that simple. In verses 19 through 21, John says it another way. He contrasts the two groups as light and darkness. Verse 19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. John said something like this back in the prologue in chapter 1, didn't he? He said, in the, in the eternal word was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it or overcome it or beat it. Humans loved the darkness instead of the light because they had bought into the darkness. Their deeds were evil. And remember, Nicodemus came at night. He came with the darkness swirled all around him. But Jesus is the light, and he invites us to come into the light. Look at verse 20. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds may be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Point number three. And last this morning, God so loved the world that we could come into the light. Doesn't that sound good? To come into the light. I know it's a little scary. It's scary to be exposed. That's what scares the world. The, the world is scared to be seen and known for how evil and shameful they are. That's so what verse 20 says. They will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Nicodemus was afraid that his deeds would be seen for what they really were. The Pharisees wanted to be seen as religious and holy in their own right. In their pride, they, they wanted people to be impressed by their religiosity and their rule following. But they didn't want the real light to shine on them. My mom's here today. Did you ever have your room inspected and hope that they didn't have, uh, that they had the inspection at nighttime and didn't turn on the light? Mom said, we never inspected your rooms. Don't look too closely under the bed, Mom. Don't turn on the lights. Verse 21 says, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Don't be afraid to come into the light or to walk in the light. Yeah. I'm a mess. You and I are a hot mess. But we know that Jesus has died for our mess. So we don't have to pretend. We don't have to be self-righteous. Look at us. 
Because we have Jesus' righteousness. And then whenever, whenever we do what is right and what is good, then God gets the glory, not us. So that it may be seen plainly that what we have done has been done through God or in the sight of God or carried out by God. The old King James has wrought by God. There's a word we could use again. Wrought by God. Done by God. If we do good, if we love others, if we love God, if we obey, we know who really did it. Ultimately, it's the work of God. We can relax and rest in Him. Because God so loved the world, we can walk in the light. Don't be afraid of the light. Don't be afraid to leave the darkness and come into the light and to walk in the light. Don't be afraid to own your own sin and confess your own sin. Because Jesus died for your sins. And He gives you His righteousness. He came to save, not condemn. To give eternal life, not eternal death, to all who believe in Him. Because God so loved the world.